Thank you, my friend. Well, emeritus means that you're old. That's the simple definition for that. It's my real joy, great joy, to be here at Grace Covenant Church. Our, our churches have had such a rich history together that actually goes way before my own experience at uh, First Evangelical Free Church, now Austin Oaks Church. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, but your founding pastor, not Matt, but Dick Flayton, was rejected as candidate at First Evangelical Free Church. Uh, he was too young, they said. And so what did he do? He started this church. This church started Westlake Bible Church, which is now Austin Ridge. And Austin Ridge sent me across town to the church that rejected Dick Flayton. Here I am. Isn't that great how God works? You know, it's my, it's my joy to talk to you today about something that I think is so incredibly important but, but so missed in the Christian life. And it has to do with the power of God, experiencing God's Holy Spirit in our lives to transform us and to give us the ability to live the life that He intends for us, but also in that transformed life to see the power of God expressed in our community and around the world. Now, something I've been doing recently as Pastor Emeritus and in my, my new 501 Austin Global Ambassadors is, is that I, I travel around the world. I, I've been in many places these past six months. I, you know, I've been to uh, Lebanon and I've been to Israel. Uh, I, I've been to northern Iraq. I was 20 miles from Mosul in November with flak jacket and, and, and guys, bodyguards, one-to-one, Peshmerga guards. It was so cool. It was just something. You have to go with me sometime. But you would be just amazed what God's doing in northern Iraq and Lebanon, places like that. For example, if we were going to decide we were going to win Muslims to Jesus as their Savior, what would we do? We'd send you to seminary for three or four years. Then we'd send you to language school for another three years. Then we'd send you maybe to Damascus, Syria, somewhere in the Middle East, and, and have you build relationships. And maybe ten years from now, we could win a couple of Muslims to Jesus. What do you think? God's got a different plan. It's called His power. What does he do? He allows a civil war in Syria that displaces millions of Syrians, many of which are Christians already. Two-thirds Muslim, one-third Christian. And where, are they, where do they land? They land all over the Middle East. I've visited many refugee camps. And listen to this. Here's how God's working. These people live in the same neighborhood in the refugee camp, Muslims and Christians. And God says, I'm going to give them a vision of Jesus. And Jesus shows up in a dream. The Muslim goes, what in the world do I make of this? What do they do? They go across the street to their Syrian Christian neighbor and say, I had this dream. Can you explain it to me? And listen to me. I'm telling you, I saw it. I met at least 40 people who had been transformed this way by the power of God. And I hear that there are thousands who are coming to faith in Jesus in refugee camps because of God's power. Do you rejoice in that? I love that. But you know, 
I'm also interested in the power of God as it relates to my own personal transformation. I'm interested in the power of God as it relates to my courage to be willing to share the gospel with the inhabitants of this great city of Austin. I'm concerned about the power of God in the life of its of the church and in the life of Christians that I meet all over the place. And the truth is, I am just like you. I meet so many, so many believers that are defeated. Believing besetting sin has to be their experience. Who are not filled with courage, who are afraid, who, who care what people think about them. I am concerned about the power of God in my own life to live the life that he intends for me. I remember preaching in Rwanda about a year and a half ago, and they were really nice to me. They liked the sermon, all that. And they were, I'll just say, they were a little bit more animated than you all were this morning. <laughs> just a little bit. And so I finished the message. I sit down and Pastor Fred leans over and he goes, oh, no, don't sit down because we got to go down. we got to have prayer. We have to invite people to prayer. And people start streaming down for prayer. Now, look, they don't have all the medical care that we have here available in our city in America, right? So they're asking me to pray for healing for them. I preach this remarkable sermon, I must say. But now I'm faced with the reality of what I think about God's power. And honestly, I have to tell you, I have a lot to learn about how to pray. How to pray for people who believe in the power of God. You know, I think this idea of God's power and his ability reached a crescendo many years ago for me. There was a couple at First Evangelical Free Church, which is now Austin Oaks Church, that were the couple, I would say, who had provided the greatest hospitality to the new crowd of us that came, the new people that came, the young people that came. I was 35 when I first went to that church. I'm like only 38 now, but it's been a long, it's been a long ride. 62 actually I am. And today at Austin Oaks Church, they're announcing the next senior pastor for our church. Is that awesome? I love that. Your sister church will have a new senior pastor in just a couple weeks, and I am personally so thrilled. But there was a couple who really did a lot to welcome people. It was Alan Joanne. Well, after about 10 years, 12 years, something like that, Al calls me. He's crying on the other end of the phone. He goes, Pastor Rob, you need to come right now. I said, what is it, Al? He said, Joanne's collapsed in the bathroom. I think she's passed away. I've called EMS. I've called the police. They're on their way. Would you please come? And I went over, and EMS had come and gone, and, but her body was still in the back bedroom. Now, what would you do? What would you say? I mean, here is someone you love so much, and her husband who's just beside himself, and I'm sitting there thinking, what do I do? What do I believe in a moment like this? And I got to tell you, I made a suggestion to Al that I've never made before or since, and you're going to think I'm crazy, and you might even leave after I tell you this, but this is what I said to Al. Do you think it'd be okay for us to pray for her that 
God would raise her up even if she's dead? And Al said, really? <laughs> I said, yeah. And I'm not kidding you. I went back in the bedroom with Al. We laid hands on her. And I remember my thoughts during that time. I was thinking, oh, God, I believe in your power. I, I know you can do this. The question is, will you do this? I would really love for you to do this, God. And I began to pray. And Al's praying. He's list he wasn't praying, but he's just listening. And we pray. And I know you're wishing she had sat up. But she didn't. And I looked at Al and I said, well, I mean, this is like after three minutes of waiting. Well, is it okay to release her? Yeah, it's okay. And we released her. But it's moments like that where I think to myself, is the power of God capable of raising this person? What do you think? Now, the truth is, most of the time, he doesn't. He doesn't. Most of the time, he just it has its natural course. That's the way it is. But that still should not cause me to ever doubt the power of God to transform lives, to empower the gospel, to cast out the diabolical, to speak to situations from a position of confidence in who God is so that the world sees that our God is who he says he is. But here's what happens. I'd be happy if God just helped us have better marriages. I'd be happy if the power of God helped to bring the prodigal children back to our homes. I, I would be happy if God just helped people with addictions get through them. I would be happy if people just said, God is changing me through the power of his spirit. That'd be enough for me. How about you? I mean, if he wants to give the rest, okay. But I'm saying if he just do that, that would be, in my opinion, more than's happening in the church of Jesus right now. Because there's such an attitude, there's such a practice, there's such a walk now of defeat among so many of us. Where we're not sure. Where we're not walking in the power. Where we don't experience what God wants to do to change us. So let me ask you a question. If God were to offer that kind of power to your Christian life, is that something you'd want? Is that something you'd vote for? Do it, Lord. I would want that. Do you want that? How do you think that happens if that does happen? If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He will make your body alive. He will change your life. In fact, Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the apostles and he, and he says to them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to cast out the diabolical. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to preach the good news of the kingdom. And he gave them authority and power to do it. And they came back and they said, you won't believe this. Even the demons are trembling. Because the power of God was on display. Now, in the book of Acts, if you would open your Bibles with, there, with me there, I'd like, to, I'd like to suggest something to you. I know that the book of Acts is extraordinary, and, it, and, 
And, and, and it's such a wonderful book. It's called The Acts of the Apostles, which gives you a clue that it is unique, right? It's not like the Acts of Us. It's the Acts of the Apostles. And even one person that I know very uh, well uh, called me, uh, and we chatted last night, and I told this person that I was going to be preaching on the book of Acts, and he said, well, be sure you tell them that they can't expect that to be our experience today. I fell asleep with those thoughts on my mind. That, that we can't expect the power of God. We can't. That's not what we should be looking for. We should not be experiencing that. And, and frankly, that's true at one level. The book of Acts is about the apostles, and it's, it's about incredible things that were declarations of the gospel being the true gospel. But I'm going to say this to you. It's my advocacy and opinion that the power that's found in the book of Acts is to be our experience today. If the same Spirit dwells in you, if the same Spirit lives in you, should we not see the transforming power of God in our lives every day? Well, in Acts chapter 1, I, I, I find something that's rather interesting to me, which helps me to say to you, is there anything we can do to put ourselves in a position to perhaps see the power of God become our experience? Not that it's a recipe, not that it's if you do this, then that. Not that you can say, God, I am telling you how to do it. Not that you can put a puzzle together and say, this is the way it's going to be. This is the formula. No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying, are there some clues, even at the beginning of the book of Acts, that speak to us in the 21st century where we say, wow, maybe if that was true of us, we might see more of what the power of God looks like. So if you would, let's prepare to experience, to see the power of God by looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And would you be so kind as to stand in honor of God's word? Let's read these words. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive 
power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when he, and when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking to the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Our Father, we pray that you take the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart and make them pleasing in your sight, O God. We ask, Father, that for the folks in this room, which could be more than we can imagine, who are feeling defeated, feeling trampled, feeling that the life that you call them to live it seems to be out of reach, would you speak to our hearts, God, and encourage us that we can walk in the power of your Spirit in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Now, when I look at this passage, I find four principles or clues that help me think about the early church and how they prepared at the instruction of Jesus to receive the Spirit and the Spirit's power. And then once that spirit was in their midst, dwelling inside of them and exercising his power through them, we have the remarkable story of the early church in the book of Acts. But I am suggesting to you that it's possible also that if we could believe that these basic constructs are places that we could think that we could place ourselves in to be available to God, that perhaps we would see more of what God wants to do in us and through us through the same Spirit. So I give you four constructs, four principles today that might prepare us for the coming of God's power and expression of His power in us and through us. Here's the first. Preparation to receive God's power begins by understanding God's truth. Now look, if you will, at the first three verses there. We, we, we see Jesus teaching the truth to his early disciples before he left. And what is it specifically he teaches? Well, it's, it's worth just maybe jotting this down. He first teaches them convincing proofs that he was alive. Secondly, he helps them understand the nature of the kingdom of God. He then, third, teaches them specific instructions uh, to his chosen ones and how to choose the next person. And finally, I would say, he probably taught some things that aren't listed here. There's some things that we don't know that he said to this early gathering. So let me ask it and answer it this way. Whom did he instruct? Well, the apostles he had chosen. Through whom did he teach them? It says, he taught them through the Holy Spirit. 
How long did, they te- did he teach them? It says for 40 days. And that's something many of us don't think about, that Jesus, after his resurrection, was on the earth for 40 days. He, he was around and he was talking to people. You could have, you could have hugged him. You could have spoken to him. You could have looked into his eyes for 40 days. And then finally, what terminated his teaching, he was taken up into heaven. Now, the basic question here is this. Is it possible to experience God's power without understanding God's truth? And the answer is maybe, but highly unlikely. I don't see how people can experience in the Christian life power without an understanding of truth. I think they go together. So what keeps us from understanding that truth? Well, let me say a few things. Number one, we don't pursue it. We we keep our Bibles closed. We have no idea what God's truth is. And Jesus said, my words must abide in you. That's important. Here's another reason we don't understand God's truth. We don't persevere in it once we hear it. We hear it, and like James says, we see ourselves in the mirror, we go away, and we forget what we read. Here's something else. We don't, we don't go after it like we should. That is, search for it like silver, as the writer of Proverbs says. Mine it like gold. I mean, we stay, it's like, it's like, it's like staying with it until you discover it. Do we do, we do that? Or here's another reason we, we, we don't understand God's truth. We don't ask the Spirit to teach us. We go to the commentaries, written by mere mortals, <laughs> and never even ask the Spirit of God. How do I interpret this Spirit? Uh, remember John 14, 15, 16, where he taught them the role of the Spirit? When he comes, he will teach you all things. So why don't we listen to him? That's why I think we miss understanding God's truth, which is vital to experiencing God's power. Here's a second idea. Preparation to receive God's power involves waiting in God's presence. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but what? Wait. Please say it. Wait. There's a reason I want you to say it. Because I want you to remember this word. Wait. Why do I want you to remember it? Because this is like a foreign language to most of us. Waiting? Are you serious? I mean, how tempted were the disciples been in Acts chapter 1, the minute he gave the convincing proofs to go for it. You you won't believe what Jesus taught us the last 40 days, and and we're out here telling you what he taught us. No, he says, wait, wait, don't go forward. Don't go out and teach a truth that God just taught you in a moment. Let it sink in. That is so foreign to us as American Christians. The minute we learn a nugget from God's Word, what are we doing? We're telling everybody else about it. And God's saying, be still. Let it sink in. Wait. Now, this theme of waiting is a huge principle in Scripture. Let me show you. Psalm 38, 15 says, I, you say it, for you, O Lord, and you will answer, O Lord my God. Isaiah 30, 18 
Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He, to, he rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a, great, is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Lamentations 3.25. The Lord is good to those who hope, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Isaiah 40.31, my favorite verse in all the Bible. Those that wait for... I, I said it because I, I couldn't help myself. I didn't wait on you. I'm sorry. See how hard it is to do? Yet those who for the Lord will gain strength, they mount up with wings. Like eagles, they'll run and not get tired. They'll walk and not become weary. Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I have put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Now, I'm just going to tell you, being, the past, being a pastor as long as I was, this is not how it works in an American church. Elder meetings, you gather together, have your food, pray like one minute, and we're off to business. Maybe not your elder board. Church meetings, same thing. Church staff meetings. I mean, we just do these sentence prayers, and the next thing you know, we are into our agenda, aren't we? Because it is not our nature to wait. But what does waiting before God demonstrate? Well, first it demonstrates our total dependence on God to be the one who accomplishes the work. It strips us from thinking that we're the ones that are in charge, and it gives space to God to work His way in His time. You know, years ago, I went to a conference that really was a life changer for me, but kind of fell out of favor, so you can't even say the person's name anymore, or they'll think you're, like, you're suspect that you went to it. But I'm just telling you, I went to this deal when I was 17 years old, and I learned a concept that I've never forgotten called vision, death of a vision, fulfillment God's way. Anyone give me a witness that that's been an experience in your life? where you knew in your heart, you said, this is exactly, I think, what God wants me to do. And you were just, you were just headed to go do that. Is that right? And the, and the next thing you know, it died. And you thought, it's over. But what happened? Because it was of the Lord, he did it later on in his way, in his time. And wasn't it the greatest that he did it his way? Waiting is so hard. And I'm going to ask you to do something for the next 30 seconds. That's it, just 30 seconds. I'm going to ask you for 30 seconds to wait on the Lord. Now, what you might want to do is bring to him that issue that you've been struggling with, that child who's wayward, that marriage that's having a very difficult time. You might bring to him your doubts. You might bring to him your, your struggles. You might bring to him what you brought here to this space today, wondering if anybody was going to pray for you. You can bring whatever you want to. You can even say to the Lord, speak to my heart, Lord. Speak to my heart, Holy Spirit. You ready? We're going to do it for 30 seconds. Here we go. Ready?
Now that was 20 seconds. Sounded, it felt like forever, didn't it? But the problem is I had this monitor that's ticking off time and telling me I better hurry up. So I had to cut 10 seconds off. But you, this afternoon, you go home and you wait. See what God says to your heart. See what biblical truth he brings alive for you because you waited. There's a third principle I want you to see that helps us, I think, prepare to receive God's power. And it's this. It includes gathering with God's people. Verse 6 says, So when they met together, I didn't see this at first. I didn't understand that perhaps that was put there for a reason. I was more inclined to talk about his answering of their question about the kingdom and the restoration. But rather, notice that it says, when they met together. When they met together. That's so important. You know, it's so important to be with the people of God to understand the power of God. You know that. Most of the time, it, you, you don't begin to experience the power of God in your prayer closet, individually. It, it usually comes as you're together with God's people. Let me demonstrate this from the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 12, as they gathered together, God gave wisdom who to choose as the next apostle. In Acts chapter 2, as they gathered together, God sent his Holy Spirit and the church was born. Acts chapter 3, as they gathered together, God met everyone's needs in the body of Christ. Acts chapter 6, as they gathered together, God gave wisdom how to meet the widow's needs. Acts 13, as they gathered together, God identified Saul and Barnabas to be sent out. Acts 15, as they gathered together, God gave wisdom about the Jews and Gentiles together in one body. Personal prayer is vital, but so is gathering with the people of God because that's often where the power of God is manifest. Let me say it this way, and I've said this many times, and if you've ever heard me teach, I say it so often I can't remember when I didn't say it, but everybody needs at least three kinds of people in your life, three kinds of Christians in your life. Everybody needs a Paul. Everyone needs Barnabases, and everyone needs a Timothy. Everyone needs a Paul, someone that's just a little further in, in the walk with God than you are, that, that can give you wisdom and, and just listen to your heart. Everyone here needs a Barnabas, folks that are with you in the walk. They, they're about where you are. They, they, they're encouragers to you, and you're an encourager to them because you share your progress in the faith. And everybody needs a Timothy, someone you're giving your life to. There's an outflow so that you don't grow stale. You're giving what you learn away. Everyone needs that. And I have to tell you this, I have been failing at that personally. I, I have many Barnabases around me. More than I can count, I, I have Timothys that I'm, that I'm pouring into, but I have to tell you, I've not had many Pauls in my life in my transition from senior pastor to pastor emeritus. Now, I, I, I don't know why that is. Maybe I got lazy. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe I just 
was burned out a little bit. Maybe I needed some time to repair. I'm not sure exactly, but here's what I want you to know. I've been in ministry for almost four decades, and I became isolated. You can so easily become isolated. And I, it's my opinion, I'll just say. When you are not with other people who are speaking into your life, it is a danger point. So I want to encourage you. The power of God usually manifests when the people of God are together. Now, there's one last principle I want to share with you, and it's this. To prepare to receive God's power, we need to understand God's truth, wait in God's presence, gather with God's people. But here is probably the most important of all the points. To receive God's power, we have to know God's person. After he said this, verse 9, he was taken up before the very eyes, and a cloud hid him from sight, and they were looking intently. And the angel said, or they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking in the sky? Underline this. I would underline this. I would circle this. This is so important. It says, This same Jesus has been taken from you to heaven. will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. Notice the words, this same Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. There was no mistaking his identity. And they knew exactly how he would come again. And if he were to come again in their lifetime, they would know for sure. We've seen him. We're seeing him now. There is no mistake. It's the same Jesus. Now, I just want you to know, I would love it if, if Jesus peeked around that corner just now. And then he walked over this way, came over here, and stood next to me. I hope he'd give me a hug. I just say that. But came over here, stood in front of you, and he looked at me and he said, I'll take it from here. Would you like that? <laughs> enough of this, this guy. Enough of this guy. Sit down. Sit down. We want this. We want Jesus. And frankly, I'm telling you, as the one that's doing all the talking today, I'd welcome him to take over. Well, first, I know that probably won't be Jesus coming around that corner because he's coming from the clouds. But... I'm still saying to you, if he came and said, I'd like to take it from here, I would say, please, please do. In fact, I long for that. Because, you know what? I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to get out of the way. I want to be like John the Baptist and say, he must increase and I must decrease in fact, there's something strange to preaching if you think about it. If somebody stands up and opens the Bible and we're hoping that some effect will happen as a result, 
Well, I'm telling you, if all it was was human words, if all it was was my creativity, you guys wasted your time today. The only reason it matters is because the Spirit of Jesus is taking the words of Jesus and speaking to us and giving us the power to understand and to know this same Jesus. That's the goal. That's the goal, to be like him. We sang that today. Did you notice the words? How do you think they came to know Jesus so well? They spent time together with him. They listened to his voice. They, they heard his audible voice. They were probably... They probably were able to put their arms around him. But most important, they watched how he lived, and as a result of watching how he lived, they knew his heart. Now listen to me. Though we live in the 21st century, you can still have a very similar experience. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. My, my sheep recognize me. And every time we open up the written word of God and the spirit of God takes the written word of God, we can come to know Jesus even better. As we abide in him, John 15, as we desire to know him and experience the fellowship of his sufferings and becoming like him in his death, we will become as people that are described in Daniel 11.32. The people who know their God will display strength. But there will be no power in our lives without intimate knowledge of who Christ is. And that's why it's said about Peter and John as they testified before the Sanhedrin. Acts 4.13, write it down. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I want people in my world, the people God allows me to touch, to know that I've been with Jesus. I want people not to think much of me. I want those people to think much of the God I represent and better, the Jesus that I know personally. And I'm telling you, and I'm appealing to you, I'm beseeching you, you don't have to live a powerless life without the power of God's Holy Spirit. You don't have to choose that. You can walk out of this auditorium today saying to Jesus, I want you. I believe in your power. I want to experience your power. I want to be in the room of someone I love and in my heart say, Lord, you can raise this woman from the dead. 
I want to be the kind of believer that follows Jesus and says, you can heal my broken marriage. I want to be the kind of believer that appeals to my Jesus and his power and says, you can bring home my wayward son. I want to be a person who exudes the power of God. In fact, I remember years ago in Bible college, I heard a guy say, said, he said, I want to be so filled with the Spirit of God that if a mosquito bites me, he goes away singing, there's power in the blood. <laughs> want some of that? Lord God, we thank you so much for your people that are here. Thank you for the message of your word. We don't want to settle for weakness. We don't want to settle for defeat. We don't want to settle for powerlessness in our lives. We want you, Jesus. We want you. In your name we pray.